I'm actually having tacos instead of a turkey because that's what I want. <laughs> You're listening to Leader FM, a weekly talk show for intelligent leaders and executive coaches reaching for the next level. Leader FM is hosted by executive coach Dr. Scott Francis and marketing media man Tony Creech. This episode of Leader FM is brought to you by Advanced Leadership Coaching and TheCreechLeague.com. This week on Leader FM, Dr. Scott and Tony talk about metacognition, six thinking hats for strategic planning, and the choice map. Hello world, you're listening to episode six. Dr. Scott and I are here and excited to talk leadership and we believe that you are ready for the next level. So let's dive in. It's so good to chat with you, Dr. Scott. Hey, Tony, how you doing? Pretty good. Thanks for joining me. You betcha. Good to be together again. Appreciated uh, taking our morning talks and and blending that into what I was already doing. It's kind of cool. Gotcha. Very cool stuff. Do you set an alarm or do you just wake up naturally? No, I, I set an alarm. Do you use that? I use my phone as an alarm. Yeah, do you use kid. that sleep cycle thing? Have you tried that? I used to use it. I haven't used it because it's, you're talking about the one that records like your bed movements and stuff? Yeah, it can tell when you're in a deep sleep or whether you're dreaming. Those are actually surprisingly accurate, but I, I don't like the idea of having my phone in my bed with me. I like it on the stand. And I'd like to get like... I was sad that the Apple Watch doesn't go for 24 hours so you can wear it to sleep, but I'd almost buy a tiny cheap device like a $10 Bluetooth device that I can put in my bed instead of having my phone in my bed. That would be cool. Sleep Cycle should come up with that because I agree with you. I I used to use it. I don't now because my wife didn't like it. It would wake her up when she was in the deeper sleep, you know, but uh, mm. I loved it. it. It was a great thing to wake me up when... when uh, Right in the middle of a dream when you are at the most lightest sleep, you know? Yeah. If anybody listening, if you don't know much about this, it's like there are apps you can get that help you wake up at quote unquote the right time because your body goes through these cycles and there's a part where it's deep. And when you wake up in the middle of that, it really hurts. And you can feel phenomenally better simply by waking up at the right part of your cycle. I find that whenever I get... uh an emergency call paged in the middle of the night. And if it is when I'm dreaming, you know, at my light, then it's no problem. But if it is in that deep spot, it takes me a good 30 seconds to even realize what's happening to me. That sounds like entering, uh, some stores in the mall. 30 <laughs> seconds. What's got, what's going on? Where what's am I? On? Yeah. You can't, you can't get every joke, right? You know, <laughs> <laughs> Every week we like to follow up from some of your questions and comments and the things you write in and a little bit of follow up from a man named Alan out of Chicago. Uh, He's an executive in Chicago and he says that uh, he loved getting the help and setting up a place to start from in terms of our first position from last week. And he says, for myself, I was struggling to use it outside of my morning routine. He wanted to know, do you use little bits of your whole multi-position heart method or do you just use a single instance of it for certain situations like in terms of active leadership do you just pull out the heart piece i mean the h piece for humility for a moment or do you run through all all four positions at once right i think what he's getting at is do we call them, do you call them multiple positions, like the humility as you go through each of them, or do you consider the whole thing a first position? Oh yeah, no, I, I there, each one is a position. So the humility okay. is first position and then mm-hmm. the energy is second position. Okay. But you just call the practice a first position sure. because of the idea of starting. Yeah. Yeah. You, you go to your first position. So, well, mm. you know what I, what I find in answer to his question, um, for me, I'll often just, uh, start off by going through all of them, all five, but then, uh, throughout the day, like, so I'll do it near the beginning of the day. I'll go through all five, like practicing yeah. a karate kata, but then mm-hmm. throughout the day, it's more of a choice that I make in this moment. I'm about to go into, I need more, I, I need to be more intentional about my energy, for example. So I'll go to second position and think about that. Um, mm. 
Yeah. And what is often the case is something will come along where I'll realize, oh, there's ego showing up again. And it's as soon as I see ego showing up, I quickly at that moment will shift into the first position. Um, So in answer to your question, almost always, except for at the beginning of the day when I go through all five, almost always, it's one at a time. It's whatever I'm choosing in that moment. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, I, I, I tried doing a little bit of attaching some of my, um, some of my kata to specific things on my schedule. So like one, one of the pieces I put together for myself is just thankfulness and gratitude. Mm. And so I was having a meeting and it was like, you know, like a sales meeting. And so I, but I just pinned, I put, I put like kata gratitude on it so that when I saw the meeting was coming up, I could say, okay, I want to be, I want to, I want to actually have the energy of feeling just grateful as I, as I talk to this person about all the things like I offer. So. Hmm. And how'd that go for you? I was, went really well. You know, I, I sold. Yeah. What we do. So how did you, Boom. if so, you were, you know, we could, if we, if you were, me and you were in the same location, we could fist bump Scott, but we have to do a verbal <laughs> fist bump. A verbal fist bump. There you are. So did you, um, like set, step aside for a few minutes before you went into the meeting or did you do this before you like drove over or how? Because I had written it right on my calendar appointment. When I drove over, I was doing it because I saw it pop up hmm. on my way there and got reminded and just went through it. That's a good idea. And I, and I, and even when I was, um, because when I was running to my kata in the, in the beginning of the day, my morning routine, and I was laying out, then I was doing, you know, typical kind of like layout stuff that needs to happen this week. Then I could attach them to the things that needed to happen. That, that is a good idea. It's fun. Yeah. It's fun. I'm going to start doing that. That's what they call me around town. Good idea, man. Good idea. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> so last night I went to my parent-teacher interview for my son and uh, oh. my wife and I went and uh, my daughter as well but w- it was interesting uh, as we were meeting with his teacher they now have you don't just get your you know your A for algebra and your B for for English they are also measuring some things about learning strategies and my wife is a teacher so she understood it a lot better than I did she'd seen some of these rubrics mm. before Rubrics are different things that they're assessing. Um, But I was really delighted to see they actually are measuring uh, metacognition now. And uh, I was... Is this a private high school or... No, no. No, it's it's actually grade eight uh, elementary school. Uh, My boy will go up to high school next year. Um, It's the one just Mm -hmm. across the street from us. And yeah, they're they're looking at their reading strategies um, and... And how they're thinking while reading. And they're actually like, my son is actually sitting in, it's not like the old days where just the parents go in and talk with the teacher. Nowadays, the kids actually are in the interview with you. Mm. And I'm sure as people have lots of opinions, whether that's good or not. But <laughs> it was interesting because my son is sitting there while we're talking about his capacity to think about how he's thinking. And that's what metacognition means. It means you're able to kind of re- look objectively at how you are thinking. So thinking about thinking mm. and, and there, he, like the teacher was saying that, that my son is actually quite good at this skill to be able to identify his reading strategies. Yeah. So that got me thinking that the whole metacognition thing is a really valuable thing to, to talk about. Um, it sounds like a topic. <laughs> there you go. There's a topic. I, I never had parent teacher conferences. I don't think maybe I went to one. Maybe that was like when you come from a single parent home and your mom's busy working in San Francisco and she, you know, just because of having to support the kid. Well, the kids, I don't know why I said kid. That's weird. I have a big family, <laughs> but when she, you know, like long hours. And so you never go to those things. I typically never went. So I've always wanted to because of the movies where there's always these parent teacher interviews. Right. Hmm? That was the one where it's like, his, no one, he's not, you know, it's not happening. <laughs> Tony, he'll make it. He'll be okay. His, his reading strategies are good. 
<laughs> well, I've always, for, for my life, I never went to one. I just, my parents would go to it, you know, and they'd always come back and they would always lie to me and tell me that my parents or my teachers think I was great when they knew full well that <laughs> I think in every single one they, they heard that Scott daydreams too much. <laughs> uh, but yeah, now they have the kid actually sit in and, and I think that's actually, there's some real value there that the kid has an opportunity to reflect on their own, uh, mm. you know, with, with a verbal feedback and not just the paper report card. And nowadays their paper report card, it, it's different than it used to be. Like, especially elementary school, you don't get A's and B's. You get um, expectations, like meeting expectations or exceeding expectations. Mm. And, and not exactly sure what that necessarily means. So being <laughs> face-to-face with the teacher and the parent, I think there's some value there. Interesting. Yeah. You know, we should bring that into the university setting because, <laughs> you know, so when I when I teach like film or media classes, sometimes I, sometimes I need the parent there. <laughs> I'd be like, you know, you're, you're acting like a high school kid. So let's just bring in your mom. I can't, I can't no. imagine that. I, having, having my parents there, like, like right after I defend my dissertation. All right, here's your 40 year old son. And let's talk about how well he's doing. <laughs> That'd be nice. So, uh, metacognition. So is this mm. like when boy and girl sitting on bench in front of river, water flowing, Boy sitting there silent, girl uh, sitting there silent as well, looking at the water. Suddenly the boy turns to the girl and the boy says, hey, what are you thinking about? And then she answers him. And then the metacognition is the next question where he says, so how were you thinking about that? Yeah, it's, it's, it's even that like metacognition is that simple question, which is what are you thinking about? It's when you interrupt your stream of thought and mm-hmm. take it the next level up where you look at what your stream of thought was or is and evaluate and or change it. So yeah, that is, that is a great way. What, what are you thinking? And you actually have to stop for a second and think, yeah, what was I thinking? Because up until that moment, thinking was just happening. But I wasn't necessarily editing my thinking. Hmm. Hmm. I wonder what I, I don't know what to think about this. <laughs> well, you, you, you just think about this. How often do you actually edit your thinking on the fly? Uh, my wife would say that I never edit my thinking on the fly. <laughs> <laughs> but the, my, you know, the way I am is I, I process things aloud. That's why I, why I do really well with dialogue. Hmm. Right. And so, uh, with, you know, managers underneath me, then I need to spend some pre-thinking time because I, otherwise I bring the dialogue to them and that's not the best. And sometimes that's appropriate, but that's one of those learning curve things for me. Actually it's not process with them, especially if their type that their personality type is just to, they just want to hit, get the orders. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, that's a, that's a great point. Uh, oftentimes, um, people, when they, they move up into higher level leadership. I think we, we mentioned this in a previous podcast. Um, you're wanting to think out loud and the people underneath you will oftentimes assume this is you talking after you have spent some time thinking and this is what your will is when all it is is yes. just you wanting to process and think it through. And, and when mm-hmm. you need to be careful, you know, especially in the early stages when people are start, first starting to get to know you, and and what your leadership is like that you preface this is just me thinking out loud and i want i want your opinions this is not me telling you this is what i want Mm. Mm. and there's a lot of things this connects with like even your expectations and planning like the way you think about it really matters for Mm. instance my wife plans and when she thinks about or talks about some stuff, she's making a plan where I can, I'll use the word explore. Hmm. So my wife can say, would it be fun next Thursday to do blank or to have the blanks over? And I would say, that sounds like fun. But in my mind, I, it was just saying, I think that's a fun idea. In her mind, I just made a plan so Uh that, 
You just said unless yes. She, let's do that. <laughs> unless she puts it in the calendar, which we have synced through iCloud, and I see it and realize she planned it. Then I plan something else because I didn't make any promises. <laughs> I just said that's a fun idea, but for her, she was making a plan. And but those so some people in general like they you just approach approach planning from a hard fast promises kind of way of doing it, and you don't talk in a way where you're just throwing around ideas and exploring. But because I do that, you know, two ships in the night might pass. One of them is mad. (laughs) (laughs) And it's my fault. Oh, of course. Well, you know, um, of course, the the gold standard when it comes to this is the Myers-Briggs personality profiling. And it gets right at, at identifying which are those kind of metacognitive processes that we are, or sorry, not metacognitive, the cognitive processes that we most mm. often employ uh, and which ones we kind of shy away from. This topic, it sounds really out there, but mm. actually I think it's extremely common in, there's, in businesses today. I think there's a lot of like Berkman's, um, there's yep. so many different oh, yeah. Myers uh, Briggs, business Disc. systems that yeah. pull into this and use these ideas. Yeah. That are, if not Myers Briggs, Myers Briggs like. What are some of the what are what are some of the main ones you see out there? Well, now, see Myers Briggs is great because it it is getting right at your cognitive processes. Some of the other ones, mm-hmm. the most popular ones, uh, like DISC uh, or Strength Finders, um, they're measuring something entirely different. Mm. Um. That's why, like, I think the Myers-Briggs is, is the gold standard when it comes to uh, psychometric tests. Mm-hmm. But it is harder for, I find when I'm using with clients, it's harder for the clients to really leverage it and take it somewhere. They, they'll understand themselves, but because there are 16 different personalities and different variations within that, it's hard to uh, remember what everybody within your organization is and, and kind of wrestle the concept to uh, to something that you'll actually use after the two hour session. Yeah, yeah. Where that's why some of these other systems exist. You're saying is that they they bring it, they make the connections more to work specifically. Yeah, like DISC, which looks it, it divides people into four different groups. Um, it, it's it's measuring something different. It's measuring whether you like to work with people or work on tasks, and whether you like change mm-hmm. or not. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and so it's not as much about your cognitive processes, how you make decisions mm-hmm. or things like that. It has, it has more to do with what you prefer with your work style. Um, so, but uh, like when you're trying to understand and, and be empathetic for somebody else, if there's only mm-hmm. four personality types that you got to keep in mind, that's a lot easier than 16, like four makes <laughs> sense. For, you know, and that's why I think disc is far more, and there's lots of different variations of disc. I think I've heard it put into colors and I've heard it put into animals and shapes and, but it's measuring the same thing. Um, yeah. It, it, that's why I think it's a really valuable thing that every organization at least at minimum does disc. But if you really want to go deeper and really understand, uh, go into Myers-Briggs. It's going to take you into that, that level that gets at how this person thinks. And how you think. I think that phrase you just said is going to be one of those little ding buttons like over podcasts when people say the same thing a bunch of times and they reference something. There's like a little people at home can almost have a little bingo card or a, <laughs> hit a little bell. And I think that the phrase, but if you, if you want to go deeper and gotcha. understand it, really understand it. And then that's just like that bridge phrase is one that probably be <laughs> on bingo cards out I there. I see. What, that we'll what, say what maybe every episode. I don't know. What you're saying is if someone was having a drinking game with our podcast, every, yeah. every time I say, if you want to go deeper, you take, yeah, okay. I get it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Besides Myers-Briggs. One that I really like, um, another way of looking at it, uh, and my hope is that we get, have a chance to have... Uh, the person who designed this come on maybe we can interview her sometime um but it's uh yeah it's the concept what what's called the choice map Marilee adams is the woman who came up with this and it's just a simple concept that that when we are doing any kind of of analysis 
about what's happening, we can go one of two ways. One way we can go into judging, in which we're asking, whose fault is this? Uh, The other way you can be going into learning, which is to ask questions like, what happened? Uh, What do I want? What can I learn from this? And what happens, what she gets at is that it's, before you even start going down the judging or the learning road, it's the question itself that you quickly ask yourself that sets you on a path. And if you go down the judging path too long, you start asking questions like, what's wrong with me? Or what's wrong with them? Or why am I such a failure? Why am I so stupid? And you end mm-hmm. up, you end up what she says in this judging pit. And, uh, I mean, as soon as I described this, I'm sure lots of listeners know exactly what I'm talking about. But then if you in- instead ask a different question before you get into analysis, it sets you on a different thought trajectory. Mm. One that takes you into learning thoughtful choices. You find solutions there. Whereas if you go down to the judging way, you start, you start getting into blame shifting, you know, and automatic reactions. So the choice map then is focused on our behavior. Like it's our thinking, but I mean, I guess, I guess what I'm saying is it's more outcome where you can look at Myers-Briggs and some people might read it in a fatalistic fashion. This is always the way I am. Yeah. I'm stuck here. Yeah. The choice map seems designed around activity on helping you be conscious about the, whether you choose to be a learner or a judger and go down the, the learner mindset or go down the judger mindset and end up in judger pit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and it's, it's not a case that there's, well, I guess maybe there is certain personalities. Maybe it's more of a behavior thing that your, your thought behavior has, you've got the habit of always going down the judging uh, path. Mm. Um, but it, where the metacognition comes in is in that moment when you're choosing what question to ask yourself. And if you're not, if you're not looking at it objectively, that question is just going to pop into your head and you're going to just assume that that's what you have to answer. And, and it's your train of thought is just careening out of control yeah. randomly down that path, you know? So this is a, so that's, it's the that's whole choose versus react thing. Yeah. Yeah. So that's another example of metacognition. Mm. I think there's lots of examples, but that's one that uh, as soon as you hear it, and I, I'd love to have Marilee come on. Uh, she'd be a great interview. Um, as soon as you hear it, it's, it's one of those things that you, you say, oh, I knew that. that. And then you stop for a second. Wait, did I know that? Uh, you know, it, mm-hmm. it seems elegantly simple and beautiful uh, in, in its concept. So she's a, she's a good friend of mine. So I really like the choice map and the idea of, you know, choosing versus reacting and being a learner and not a judger. Um, for people that know they're Myers-Briggs, how do you keep Myers-Briggs from being a stuck kind of static thing where you're, that's the way I am and therefore you have to deal with it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, really good question. So Myers-Briggs, uh, of course, it, it identifies whether you prefer to introvert or extrovert. Uh, you know, whether you want to talk about it or whether you'd like to just process it by yourself. And, um, and then it looks at four areas where we get our information from and how we process it. That, like, that comes down to whether we, we get it through emotions and feelings, whether we get it through intuition, whether we get it through data that comes directly to us, or whether we like to mostly process things through logic. And what happens is we do all of those regardless of our personality. Mm. Um, and, and so when, when someone starts to make the excuse by saying, that's not my personality type, I'm not into that kind of thing, we can sometimes uh, say, like again, use that as an excuse to say, I don't have to do that, therefore, or quit pushing me to be something I'm not. Um, and, and that's not what Myers-Briggs gets into. What it gets into is preference. It, it may say, Yes, I am good at uh, feeling through and making a decision based upon my my emotions to it, but I am still very capable of balancing the pros and cons and thinking through the logic of a decision, even though my personality preference is to be more of a feeling person as opposed to a thinking person. So... What it's just saying is the other, the one that you're, you don't have as much of a preference for, you may get more tired doing. So in answer to your question, 
when you know what your personality type is, if you've if you've done a really good uh, report, an interpretive report, you should have been given a bit of a description on where you're going to go first. So an ENFJ, when you when you've got a really good report that is able to tell you how you will typically respond, an ENFJ will first start with their feeling. Then they will move on to their gut, what their intuition is, right? This is how they're going to process. They might move on to their sensing, try and get the data. And then if they're lucky, but on rare occasions, they will maybe go to the last point, which is to think about uh, balancing the logic of it and, and, but generally what happens is they've already made the decision before they got to that point. Mm. So in answer to your question, if you've gotten a really good interpretive report for your Myers-Briggs, you'll know what your typical pattern is. And then what you want to do is ensure that if you're making a really important decision, that you, that you close the circle and actually do the third and the fourth step and not just your first and second. So for example, my wife and I, when we were buying a house, we both knew our personality reports and she was so smart. She said, you know, both of us, we make decisions more based on feeling than on logic. So she said, when, when it comes to buying a house, we need to have some friends and we need to make sure that we close the loop on that piece there. And she's totally right. When it came to buying a house, <laughs> the the main thing I was looking for was how many happy places I could find in the house. <laughs> like I really liked the ensuite and I really liked the deck where, you know, I'd have barbecues. I could imagine myself being happy in our grand room where the big TV is yep. and all these things, you know, whereas someone who's more of a thinker is going to be looking at, is there good drainage? You know, what are the taxes going to be like in comparison to uh, how much land we get for it? You know, All the those kind of stuff. logical pieces. Boring stuff. <laughs> well, not to a thinker, <laughs> you know, someone with that kind of mindset. Um, anyways, my point is, in answer to your question, that's where the Myers-Briggs really has uh, some, some very helpful application to your business and your personal life, is when you know what you are going to most lean towards, go there do that but then make sure that you close the loop and do those other pieces yeah and i think that it's popular enough to where a lot of people have gone into it a little bit it's more that they need to go into it a lot are you saying they need to go deeper is that what you're saying (laughs) ding (laughs) Ding. it's that they need to go they (laughs) need to move beyond an entry-level paragraph on themselves there's bad free tests you can take that will mess you up oh yeah yeah, it's worth. I don't want to slam the, the internet. Fifty to hundred bucks, but it's something <laughs> worth spending money on and worth taking the time to go through at length, especially each part of those, and mm. uh, because those are weaknesses and strengths in s- certain situations. Yeah, yeah. But throughout your day, you are going to use all of those pieces. And you're going to do it both introverted and extroverted ways. Like you're going to feel, you're going to go through the emotion of something and you're going to want to do it privately to yourself. That's an introverted feeling, but you're going to also want to talk about your feelings. Some people are better at it than others. You know, everybody is also going to do something with their intuition. What's your gut say? Um, you know, and, and some are better at that than others. Uh, but, but to say that you are one and that you never, ever do the others is a fallacy. Everybody uses all of the Myers-Briggs traits. Just, we have a preference for some more than others. I, 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 maybe you do. I don't. I'm. (laughs) (laughs) You're reluctant. What are you, by the way? I could guess, but what, what is your Myers-Briggs? I think you could guess. I'm ENFP, but my thinking feeling Uh, is fairly close. You know, I'm. Yeah. When I'm inspired, I'm fearless and tireless. When I'm uninspired, <laughs> I I watch Netflix. <laughs> Just kidding. Wow. This is interesting cuz uh, you know what? I I'm an ENFP as well. Uh-oh. Yeah, and and very close to the thinking and feeling. So you and I are, uh-oh, this is dangerous. We're similar personality this types. Is... Somebody help us. We would both make good hosts. Yep. Yeah. Uh, you know what? It, it, it that's probably a good uh, 
clue for us to also bring in other people to interview. Yeah. Um, but I think it, it's no surprise though, because ENFPs often get into helping professions, coaching and things like that. Mm-hmm. That's a, a profession we often get into. Yeah. We're helpers. Helpers. So Scott, do you have any resource for this week that connects to this topic besides going and taking a Myers-Briggs test online? Yeah, <laughs> I I do. I, I've got one that I found. Uh, I found this about 20 years ago and just loved it. Uh, and I've used it in a few settings. Uh, and it really makes a difference in helping a group to come to a decision on something and make sure that they go through all of these different cognitive processes and not leave one behind. Mm. So what I, what I recommend, this is what I'm giving to people, is the uh, color hats, which was a concept uh, that Edward de Bono, and I better spell this, it's Edward and then de Bono is spelled D-E, and then it's a new word, Bono, B-O-N-O. And Edward de Bono, yeah, in, it was in his book, uh, The Six Thinking Hats, an essential approach to business management, he suggested that there are six different cognitive strategies that you want to employ when you're making a decision. Mm. So imagine this, you're sitting around in a board and imagine what it's like when one person is talking about the, you know, the, the data, the stuff that we need to know. And they're saying, we need to get some more data. And, and then there's someone across the other side of the table saying, yeah, I'm not so sure about this. My gut is saying that we're, this is a bad choice. And then there's someone on the other side, on the third side of that table, if you want to say, and, and they're talking about, well, we need to come up with some new strategies. Now, you've probably sat in on meetings like this where each of these individuals are talking and you can sort of get yourself into an impasse where you're, you kind of get hung up and you're not quite sure where to go next, and the, the meetings can drag on and on, and it's almost like you're filibustering a meeting. Yep. Well, what De Bono suggests is that we think in parallel, which means that everybody choose to go one direction until we've exhausted that, that cognitive process, then f- switch and go a different direction. And that's why he's got these six different hats, these six, six different directions. Because the idea is, instead of being in a tug of war for what we should be thinking about, we all think in parallel together and then switch. So um, I'll go through these thinking hats if that if that works. So imagine, Tony, you're putting on a hat. Okay, uh, okay I can do that. <laughs> okay, so you've got a, a blue hat. What What they suggest here is that the blue talks about meta thinking itself that when you put when you put the blue hat on everybody in the group and particularly the chairperson thinks about what the subject is um, what we're going to be thinking about and what the goal is for this conversation do we want to make a decision at the end of this conversation Mm. do we want to do we want to figure out what data we need Um, which which other hat do we need to wear Mm. but it's one where we all agree together to think about our thinking doesn't take long just a few moments but put it on for a moment and the idea is everybody kind of is metaphorically wearing this hat okay how, how big is your hat because <laughs> i'm, well, I'm wearing a particularly is. small blue hat are you too now? small for okay, my head so it's not a great big texas 10 gallon one is it no i save that for the next one okay the white hat well your next one you're the white hat white hat thinking is when it comes to just pure information, it asks the question, what information is available? What are the facts? What are the details that we actually know right now? Because so often you're sitting in a meeting and someone is sitting on a, a fact or a piece of information and it doesn't come out until halfway through the meeting. And it would have really helped if we'd known that all at the beginning, you know? Or you may have this nagging feeling within you that that you don't know everything that could be known about this. And so, so you're not willing to talk about anything else until you get more facts. So when everybody puts the white hat on, then the idea is just bring it, put it out on the table. Everything we know about this choice, every, every detail, 
And then at the end of that, it leaves us with either a feeling like we have, we have got it all on the table and it's done, or there's still some information that we need to know. And so we're going to, we're going to decide to search that out. You know, so we, we might actually give somebody on their to-do list, go and find out what X, Y, Z is, and then come back and report, and then we can make our decision. So mm. that's white hat. But what happens in, whenever you do this, you, you go until there is suddenly silence around the table. Nobody has anything more to contribute. There is no more information to give. And at that point, there's this little bit of magic that happens where you feel like we don't have to, we don't have to go there anymore. We've got it all. We're ready to move on. And the tug of war stops in that direction. So, ready for the next hat? Yes. In fact, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. just stacking these up on my head as we talk. <laughs> okay. Well, now you got a red one. Maybe it's a beanie with a little propeller or something. <laughs> red talks about, uh, it's, it's the color of passion right? It's, it's, this is where your gut comes into play. This is your instinct or your emotions. What is, what is your gut feeling on this decision? Now, there are a lot of places where, where people would say this, there is no place for this in a, in a business context or in a professional context that we shouldn't be talking about this. The only problem is if you do that, then you're actually causing those gut reactions and those emotions to become repressed. People sit on them quietly. They won't talk about it. Mm. But, and it has everything to do with their emotional feelings about it as opposed to any kind of logic. So when you bring this, this is the moment where everybody brings how they feel about it. Now, some people suggest you don't spend very long here, like 30 seconds at the most. Um... I'm not so sure about that because I think this is also the place, if you have any kind of spiritual tradition, um, I know there are some individuals who really feel that they want to pray about something and see if they get any kind of intuitive sense. Uh, this is the place for that to come in, into bearing. It doesn't overwhelm. You don't want this to eclipse the decision, but you want it to be out there because if if there are 17 individuals of a group of 20 who are having a gut feeling that this is bad news, but nobody's saying anything, you might make a major yeah. mistake. And it can be argued, that's what people say happened at the Bay of Pigs. That there was a large number of people around the table who, who they were feeling this was bad. It was all Red Hat stuff. They were thinking, this isn't good stuff here. Their gut was saying we shouldn't do this. But nobody wanted to, um, to put themselves out there in front of Kennedy. Mm -hmm. Uh, President Kennedy. And so they, they were all kind of gung-ho saying, yeah, go for it. So they went for it. And of course it was a disaster, mm. right? Thankfully they learned from that because when the Cuban Missile Crisis came along, Kennedy absented himself. He didn't, he didn't sit in the room so that the guys felt free to talk openly. You know, I often absent myself from meetings, especially if I'm not a part of them, just because I wanted, I'm following <laughs> Kennedy's tactics, you know? There's probably a meeting going on right now. I'm not a part of for that reason. <laughs> wow. You're such a good leader. <laughs> so the black hat, the black hat is the one that deals with logic and discernment. This is the one, if you want to think of the allegory, think of a judge coming in with a black uh, robe, right? The black hat is the one that says, is there any dangers here or any do you see uh, any blind sides? And again, this is one that they should have been asking for the Bay of Pigs. Yeah. I think too often um, we're in organizations or, or situations where we need to make something happen and the gung-ho kind of spirit takes over. And, and we, if there is, if everybody is agreeing, there can be a real problem there. You know, there may actually be a danger no one's seeing. Mm. Now, where this is really powerful is if someone is bringing an idea and they're the salesperson for that idea, if you're doing parallel thinking, they are required to put their advocacy aside for a moment and actually look at the dangers of their own idea. Because often what happens is the person who has the idea and who really wants to see it happen, 
they are also the ones who know some of the dangers better than anybody else. So this is a place for them to, to full disclosure and let that be known. Right? Yes. Next one. You ready for the next one here? <laughs> the next one is the yellow hat. Yellow hat is, is, uh, think of sunshine. Okay. This one is where you look at, you look at any new idea or any opportunity or, or something and look at what are the, what are the uh, good things about this? You know, what, what, what is the potential? Uh, where are the wins? Why this is important. I mean, this is, this is, I think where we often go when we're doing kind of strategizing where it's important is you often have the naysayer, the person who just really loves shooting down ideas. Ideas to them are like, it's like skeet shooting, you know, as a give me, someone comes with an idea and they just, no, that doesn't work. We tried that once. And someone else comes with a different idea and says, oh, that's stupid. You know, it's like, they're saying, pull, then boom, they shoot that one down and they just, it's a sport. Mm. So when you go into yellow hat thinking, then you require that this person who is the skeet shooter also says what they think would be, what some of the merit would be to an idea. And in that moment, sometimes you'll notice that the, the heel draggers will, yeah. will shift and they'll say, actually, no, there is some merit to this. And, and you, a lot of the entropy, the, the, you know, you can, you can have this momentum that gets lost because of your naysayers. All of a sudden that can get loosened up and you get moving again. Right. And so, and the last, the last hat, uh, is the green hat. Green hat is for creativity. So think allegorically of grass, things that grow, right? Ideas grow. And, and this is when you have those brainstorming moments or the generation of new ideas. And again, I talked about that skeet shooter. Sometimes the skeet shooter doesn't value ideas. And they just really value shooting them down. They yeah. just love that. And so if they're in a moment where they actually have to generate them, like we're going to go around the table and everybody come up with an mm-hmm. idea, then, then they may actually realize, uh, yeah, we, I love shooting things down, but I really need to relax on that because ideas are oftentimes more valuable and harder to come by. Depending on the organization. Some are full of ideas. It happens too much. But anyways, the point here is you want to go until you have exhausted all the potential Mm. ideas. And then at the end of that, once you've gone through these hats, and this doesn't take that long, as a group, you will feel this really neat moment when you feel like you have talked about everything. You've looked at the information you need. You've talked about your gut feeling. You've talked about what are the dangers, what are, what are some of the optimistic things about this and any other new ways of coming at it. And all of a sudden you're, you come to the end and you feel like, you know what? We're ready to make this decision. We've looked at it all. There's nothing more we can talk about. Now I heard a statistic and I, I'd like to track this down. Someone, someone said that IBM instigated this and it cut down their meeting times by 80%. Uh, if anybody knows where the, that stat is from, I'm not exactly sure where it was, but but I have used it and I have found the same. I have found that when you use this, what normally would take two or three hours actually only takes about 45 minutes. And you come to the end and everybody is left there in silence saying, there's nothing more to say. We've we've examined everything and we're ready to decide. Let's 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 choose right now. All of those hats are cognitive strategies. And getting back to the main mm. thing here, the metacognitiveness is that when you are intentional about what your thinking strategy is. Mm. So this is a great tool to ensure that you do that. And you can do this individually or you can do this yes, as I've a group. I've seen this in certain uh, productivity type systems, like in it's kind of execution systems uh, where you, you know, apply a way of working for your business and and this is this is, has been one of the key elements and and some and a couple of them where you use it to reform how you how your business operates and me, you know with, particularly mm. with meetings i've been in so many meetings where each one of these were brought up from a different person kind of like in your story because it's very common and the the person in charge takes theirs or whatever one and says, makes a decision based on that. And everybody else leaves feeling like 
unsatisfied. Yeah. Yeah. You think about it. If, if the decision was made primarily because of red hat thinking by the person in charge, you often leave feeling, yeah, we missed something. And it doesn't matter even the outcome, the mood of the meeting. So many outcomes in, luck, in business are more luck than any of us want to admit. <laughs> yeah, oftentimes. So, so I do true. like focusing yeah. on uh, practices and practices that are healthy and are smart practices rather than just the outcome. Because even though that's the one thing we drive for, we just when we draw that correlation too strongly, then we're fooling ourselves. This is like a sad way to end the <laughs> resource, but I guess well, I'm see, saying it's a good resource. See, it, it, it's a good practice, even if by emotions you might've gotten to the same place. I guess there, here's the, the, I think one of the best things about it is um, just imagine when you're in meetings, when one person is allegorically wearing the black hat and another person is wearing the yellow hat and they just, it's like they're missing it. They're not even yeah. talking the same language. And they're just pulling back and forth and advocating one for the other. You know, what this does by, by being intentional about it as a group, it helps to loosen up the attitudes and, and uh, I guess you want to call it that, that uh, hard and fast stance that we take and, uh, and helps each person around the table to use all of the strategies. I think it makes for a much smarter, wiser and safer decision. Mm -hmm. One of the things I really like about yeah. this uh, metacognition stuff, both with Choice Map and My- Myers Briggs, and uh, and with this, is that sense of knowing uh, li- knowing your own limits. That if you are more of a black hat wearer naturally, to be able to just identify that and be and, and to know that's a valuable part, but that it is a part and not the whole. And mm. same thing with Myers Briggs that. You know, I you know that I need judges around, uh, in terms of uh, having a mix of people. Those are those are needed in an organization for it to be healthy or successful. Yeah, I agree. I think I think the there's a danger though if we say we want you to be <laughs> yeah, our exactly. judger. You know, then no one else is judging. Because what often happens is, like I said before, the person who actually has the piece of information about where we could you know, go off the rails, they don't say it because they're mm-hmm. not the judger. And so if the, if the person wearing the white hat doesn't chime in, then they never gather enough information. Or if the black hat doesn't chime in, there's no logic to it. And they let people, almost like in a Jungian way, people become archetypes of themselves. And, and you're like, well, <laughs> if right. Mark was here, Mark, Mark would, he's, he's optimistic. He would have some ideas for us. He'd, he'd give us some generate ideas and, instead of forcing the, the black hat wearer to, to generate ideas. The idea of parallel thinking here is that everybody, you may not be very good at one of these hats, but you are required to wear it for this, this amount of time. This is the kind of system that, uh, I wonder, if, I wonder, I wonder what, would, what it would be like, Scott, if I took this and tried to use this with uh, my wife today because we're buying a minivan. <laughs> Yeah, really? we've ah, we've talked out that, we've talked ourselves out of a suburban SUV type thing into a minivan because of a lot of <laughs> well, a lot of black hat discernment kind of logic reasons that it's better vehicle in right, a lot of ways. Right? But even though it might be uglier, or it's a minivan, <laughs> <laughs> it's the real sign yeah. of virility, you know. It's a minivan. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah this is a great. <laughs> tool uh, to use for that um you could totally like like just go through each one of the hats and uh because you're right though maybe the biggest thing that's holding you back from actually pulling the trigger on it is the emotion around it being <laughs> a minivan it doesn't quite have the swagger that some other vehicles so might have. summarizing episode six scott uses the six thinking hats to coach tony into buying a minivan <laughs> there you go <laughs> Metacognition, big word, but actually we, we do see it big word. a lot in, ter- in terms of being used in businesses and systems and from productivity all the way over to mm. uh, your HR department. Uh, you, you're seeing this stuff get used and this is, uh, and this is something that isn't, isn't just out there thinking. This affects decisions like we just, like a minivan decision, that kind of decision, big stuff. Oh yeah. 
Yeah. And it also like, we'll get into this more, but you're doing this when you're doing strategic planning, you know, which is a huge part of any kind of leadership role. And the whole time you're strategic planning, you're asking yourself questions Mm -hmm. and then answering them. And it's this, it's the nature of the questions that you ask that then shape Mm. where you go. Yeah. Yeah. It's, as Mary Lee Adams says, my, my uh, friend who, who came up with the, that uh, map there, one of the books she wrote was just basically change your questions, change your life. Mm. Which brings me to a, an, another question. Okay. I thought I'd think of something. I just said that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I said that thinking that by the time I got to you saying what, I would have a question, a great question. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us this week. You can find Scott at advancedleadership.biz. Find him also on Twitter at leaderadvance. I am at thecreech on Twitter, and you can find me at thecreechleague.com or tonycreech.net. Please send in all your comments, questions, and follow-up, maybe some stories even. If you like the show, please rate us on iTunes so you can share the love around. Thank you, Dr. Scott, for joining me as well. It was a ball. You betcha. And I'll leave this with the listeners. How are you going to take the idea of metacognition and thinking strategies and use that in your leadership this week? What would be a funny thing to say right now? That's a good question. Not that I always ask myself. I don't even ask myself that question. I just, that is a good question. Because as we said before, I'm not processing it. It's just happening. It's happening out in front of me. <laughs> the biggest takeaway here today is not that metacognition is Uh, a word you don't hear every day. It's that we should definitely be more involved in our parent teacher interviews and have them for university students. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Yeah. Um, But this isn't important. Okay. Well, my son, my son's going to go to Harvard, so I'm going to help him get there every way I can. I chose not to go to Harvard. And if he, you did. It's a free will (laughs) choice, but for me, so, in the end, metacognition is not just a big word, but it's a big word we can use in our parent-teacher interviews to uh, show to show our, our kids' <laughs> teachers that we're smart. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, I have a little baby head in here now. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, she's got such uh, a cute voice. Aw, come here, little cute. Aw. <laughs> and this is why you have this kind of job because then even in the middle of your work day girl curls up on lap. That's right. Oh. It's a nice life we have, Scott. It is, you know? We're walking on sunshine. <laughs>